So glad to be here. What a privilege to be able to sing these songs. And that last song, um, all of them were great, but talking about running to his arms. And I'm just wondering how many of us need to do that. And I would submit to you that all of us do. For different reasons, perhaps, regardless of where we find ourselves in life, whether we're in a big high and experiencing success or we are experiencing troubles and difficulties, Running to the Lord's arms is always the best thing that we can do. In there we find comfort, we find peace and security. When we get away from that is when we get in trouble. You know, when we find ourselves running away from his arms is when we find ourselves in trouble. So I'm so glad that you're here. I think coming on a Sunday morning to church, uh, at very least in part, is, is some of that. Wanting to run to the Lord's arms and wanting to draw near to him. And I want to say you're in the right place. Regardless of how you got here or how long you've been here, you're in the right place. We're here to glorify God. We're here to sing his praises. We're here to say that he's awesome. Uh, And we're also here to study God's word in order that we would be instructed and and knowledgeable of who he is, what he's done for us, what he expects of us, what he has promised. So I'm really excited. Thank you for being here. For those of you that are here uh, in person, for those joining us online, we're grateful as well. Uh, Again, I'm always honored, honored and just pleased and happy to hear when people let me know that they're watching. I know not that long ago I was talking to a buddy of mine that, is, uh, that moved to Vegas and they watch online um, people from, from different places that sometimes we never would have thought uh, they get to watch our live service via the internet. And so we're grateful to be able to provide that, but know that you're part of our congregation and we're grateful to have you. So. Really, really great. I'm so pleased to be here. Um, I don't have a lot of announcements today, so that's a good thing. I do want to just mention that we yesterday had a leadership meeting, training. We had about 40 people. I think it was 39. So about 40 people got together, and we just kind of had a great time because I think ever since COVID began, meetings like that changed. And so just meeting in person felt really good. having great discussions over some important topics like um, conflict resolution. I don't know if you guys know, but conflict also exists within the church, and and we're not afraid of that, but we want to learn how to better deal with those in order that we would grow together. Um, So we had a great time. I'm grateful for that. Uh, We also are in the, we'll be starting the third week of growth groups, and as I mentioned, uh, combined with all the groups that we offer here at Crosspoint, from youth to young adults to women's group and various Bible study groups, we have about 120 people uh, signed up. We have one online group. That's a lot. I know you guys don't get really excited about that, you, you, but trust me, 120 people signed up for growth groups um, is a really great thing. So I want to encourage you, stay as faithful as you can, be as committed as you can, Uh, Be committed to growth. That is part of our discipleship process, right? Uh, Our discipleship process is simple. Three points. Experience God through worship. That's kind of what we're doing here right now. You know, Sunday morning, be faithful to Sunday mornings. Come and be engaged. The second step is to commit to growth through growth groups. And that's what 120 of you there about are doing through Crosspoint. And then the third point is to serve this world with God's love. Those are our three points. Experience, commit, and serve. That's, that's what our discipleship process is. And we're saying if you do that, 
that gives you a really good base, a really good foundation from which God can grow you and use you in ways that you probably never imagined. To me, that's super exciting. So, so great to be here. So keep it up. Be engaged in your growth groups, and um, we'll see how that goes. I'll quickly mention that this Saturday, this coming Saturday, um, there's a KMG event, a men's gathering. If you have never experienced one of those, I would highly encourage you to, uh, to attend. Uh, this is Frank Sontag. He has a ministry called KMG, Kingdom Men's Gathering. And um, this coming Saturday from 8 to 1, he's going to have about five or six different speakers. Often they're like ex, um, they're just, uh, what should we say, like high profile people, sometimes ex athletes or, you know, NFL players, um, ex boss, uh, mafia bosses, e- everything. They have, they have just a group of, uh, different. You know, we got a chance to see Daryl Strawberry and take pictures with them, and yeah, it's, it's been really great. But it's, it's just a time for guys to get together and just hear from other men um, and be encouraged and held accountable and encouraged to, to continue to grow. So if that interests you, I plan on going. I know we haven't announced it a whole lot because I wasn't sure if I was going to be able to make it that weekend. It's going to be a busy weekend for me, but uh, we're going to squeeze that in. And so if there's any other guys that want to get together, we'll uh, we'll go and have a, a great, blessed time. All right, let me know. This morning, what I would love to do is I want to take communion with you. Uh, so if you, well, as you walked in, if you uh, grabbed one of these on your way in, uh, then you're ready. If not, and you want to participate in taking communion together here, then you want to raise your hand and we'll have one of our ushers come around and give you one. But I want to look at 1 Corinthians chapter 15. And just take a look at one verse. First Corinthians chapter 15. Verse 3. And I might end up reading verse 4. No guarantees. So here the Apostle Paul is writing to the church in Corinth, and he is uh, as plainly and concisely as possible, he's telling them what the gospel is, what the message of salvation is. It doesn't get simpler than this. So 1 Corinthians 15 verse 3 says, Paul speaking to this church, he says, For I delivered to you, first of all, that which I also received that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures. So Paul says, hey, I want to share with you what God has told me. And that is that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures. And then verse 4 says, and that he was buried and that he rose again on the third day according to scriptures. And, and this whole idea of according to scriptures is going to come into play when we, uh, during our, our message this morning. And the Apostle Paul is saying, and what I want to focus on is the fact that he says, this is, this is what you need to know. You need to understand the basics of Christianity, and that is that Christ Jesus came into this world to die for our sins. And that is what this is a reminder of, and many other things as well. 
But as you peel back the first layer, you take the bread. It was the Lord that said, this is my body which is broken for you. And so this bread, and he says, do this in remembrance of me. And and so 2,000 years later, we get a chance to do what the Lord told his disciples and his followers to do. That as we gather, as often as we do this, to remember him, what should we remember? Well, as you take the bread, we are reminded of the Lord's body, his perfect, sinless body that he used to die for our sins. Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures. And he did that at the cross of Calvary. Let's take that together. As you peel back the second layer, you have the juice. This represents the blood of our Lord Jesus. It is symbolic. And it is a reminder that Jesus on that cross... He had a body just like yours and mine, except he was perfect. He was sinless, but it was flesh and blood. And the Bible and biology tells us that the life is in the blood. And he shed his blood. He spilled his blood as a payment, his very life as a payment for our sins. Let's take that together. Let's go ahead and stand, and we're going to sing for the third time, Come Thou Fount. And as we, as we sing this song for the first time, at least for a while here, this, this hymn, um, I just want to mention some of these hymns, when we sing them, some of them are written in Old English. This one was written back in the, oh boy, I forgot I told you already, but 1758 was it? I mean, it's been around for a couple hundred years. And so there's going to be some words every once in a while you think, like, I've never heard that word. Like in this case, there's going to be a word that says Ebenezer. When was the last time you used that, right? Did you guys bring your Ebenezer this morning? <laughs> and, and it goes back to 1 Samuel, and it talks about a, a stone that was, that was erected. It was a, a, a stone of remembrance. And it was the nation of Israel that would uh, set up these pillars and these stones as a remembrance of what God has done for them, had done for them. And at that time, fighting with the Philistines, they were experiencing success. Uh, when the odds didn't look good, and so they would, out of gratitude, raise an Ebenezer, a stone of remembrance. And this author uses that word, so it's biblical, but it's not a word that we often use. But just keep that in mind. It says, I, to, I raise my Ebenezer, my stone of remembrance. I recognize that I'm here only because of you. Let's sing that together. <clears throat> Come thou fount of every blessing, tune my heart to sing thy grace. Streams of mercy never ceasing, calls for songs of loudest praise. Teach me some melodious sonnet, Sung by flaming tongues above. Praise the mount, I'm fixed upon it. Mount of thy redeeming love. Here I raise my Ebenezer. Here by thy great help I've come. 
And I hope by thy good pleasure safely to arrive at home. Jesus sought me when a stranger wandering from the fold of God. He to rescue me from danger interposed his precious blood. Oh, to grace, how great a debtor daily I'm constrained to be. Let thy goodness, like a fetter, bind my wandering heart to thee. Prone to wander, Lord, I feel it. Prone to leave the God I love. Here's my heart, Lord, take and seal it. Seal it for thy courts above. Father in heaven, we come to you in recognition that only by your grace we are here. We recognize, Father, as we sang in this hymn, that our hearts are prone to wander, to leave the one that I love. And yet in your grace, Father, in your mercy and your patience, you have us here. And we trust that you will keep that which we have committed to you until the day of Christ our Lord. We are secure in you. We're grateful. We thank you for allowing us the privilege to raise our voices and worship you, to get together as family, to hear your word. I pray, Holy Spirit, that you would teach us, that you would help us to pay attention, that you would help us to, uh, that you would open our minds and our spiritual eyes, that we would see how great and awesome you are. We thank you. We pray this in the wonderful name of Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. Amen. Amen, beloved. You may have a seat. Um, and this morning, what I would like to do is continue our messages out of the gospel according to Luke. And I want to continue to encourage you to read your Bible, to study your word, the word of God. All right. And so we've been in chapter nine for a couple of months now and we'll be there for a couple of weeks still. But read, read ahead and then start reading chapter 10. Read the whole entire uh, gospel. Um, be familiarized with with the scripture. You know, um, in your growth group, a, an awesome way to, you know, if I ever say something that maybe doesn't make sense and you can certainly reach out to me and ask me or text me, email me, call me, invite me to lunch. Uh, but also, you know, if something really strikes you or, or, or helps you, share that. Share that with someone. Don't wait. Um, you don't have to wait. Whatever the Lord reveals to you, find somebody that you can share with. Um, other believers, but also people that may not know the Lord. They need to hear what we talked about, what Paul mentions in 1 Corinthians 15, 3. Everybody needs to hear that Jesus died for their sins. It's awesome. So this morning I have a message entitled, The Supremacy of Christ. And I love the fact that I get to stand here in front of you and just tell you about Jesus, my Lord. And this morning we're going to talk about his supremacy, that he is above all, that there is no one like him. He is not to be compared with anyone or anything. 
He is the sovereign God of the universe, the eternal God and creator. That is who my Lord is. And so we're going to look at Luke chapter 9, verses 27 through 36. And this is the, the story in which Luke tells us um, that our Lord Jesus Christ was transfigured. So we're going to take a look at that and, and see what that means and what it signifies. The main point this morning is this. We must recognize the supremacy of Jesus in order to glorify God. Obviously, a big problem that we have is that we don't think enough or highly enough about Jesus Christ, our Lord. Like, who is he in your life? Is he your buddy? Is he your pal? Is he your God? Is he your Lord? Is he your Savior? Who is he? Who is Jesus? In your life. And not just who do you say he is, but who is he? What does he mean for you in your life? How does he impact your life? How does he impact your decision making? Your personal decision making, your public decision making. I'm saying everything. So we, we, when we recognize the supremacy of Jesus, we glorify God. And so what we want to do, and I'm going to read that in just a little bit, but we're going to look at three points, and we're basically just going to explore that. We're going to say that Jesus' supremacy is seen by, and we're going to look at three points. And at the end, I hope that we would leave here with a greater sense, a deeper understanding and appreciation of who our Jesus is. All right? You should be excited about that. I am. Luke 9, 27 through 36, I'll start by reading that. You guys can follow along if you have your Bibles. And it says, <clears throat> But I tell you, truly, there are some standing here who shall not taste death till they see the kingdom of God. This is Jesus speaking. And now it came to pass about eight days later, after these sayings, that he, Jesus, took up Peter, John, and James, and went up to the mountain to pray. As he prayed, the appearance of his face was altered, and his robe became white and glistening. And behold, two men talked with him, who were Moses and Elijah, who appeared in glory and spoke of his decease, which he was about to accomplish at Jerusalem. But Peter and those with him were heavy with sleep, and when they were fully awake, they saw his glory and the two men who stood with him. Then it happened as they were parting from him that Peter said to Jesus, Master, it is good for us to be here. And let us make three tabernacles, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah, not knowing what he was saying. While he was saying this, a cloud came and overwhelmed them. And they were fearful as they entered the cloud. And a voice came out of the cloud saying, This is my beloved son. Hear him. And when the voice had ceased, Jesus was found alone. But they kept quiet and told no one in those days any of the things that they had seen. All right. So I'm guessing most of you are familiar with this portion, right? Maybe you've read it before. So let me just kind of recap that. The Lord has been hanging with his disciples. You know, they've been with him, living with him. They've been seeing his, his uh, miracles. They see, they hear his teachings. 
And even within the 12 disciples, and we've said this over and over, the Lord chose 12 special men. But there were also other men and women that were disciples of the Lord. And then even a broader group than that always followed the Lord. People that were curious, people that wanted something from the Lord, maybe a miracle or wanted to present their babies. All kinds of people wanted to be around the Lord. So every once in a while, the Lord would depart from everybody else and he would go and be in a place alone and pray with the Lord, pray with his father. And here what he does is that he takes three people. And if you read the Gospels, you'll see that the Lord had his 12 disciples. But even within 12, these three were always closer to him. He allowed them to see other things, deeper things. Um, And so he chooses Peter, John, and James, and he takes them up the mountain to go pray. And what would often happen, even in very important situations, and maybe we could relate to that, the Lord would take these men up with him to pray, and it was usually late at night. It was usually after a very heavy day of work. And And over and over, the disciples, I would suppose, would start praying with him, uh, or they would gather, they would pray. The Lord would just even go a little bit farther away from them, and and he would pray, and they would fall asleep. Kind of like some of you right now. (laughs) I'm just kidding. Don't look around. That would be rude. Just kidding. No, no, I didn't see anybody sleeping right now. Um, But imagine that. The Lord takes him up, and he's praying with them, and they're, you know, they're human, and they get sleepy. And they fall asleep. And it says that when they wake up, not only is Jesus there, but now there's two other men. And somehow they're able to recognize that it's Moses and Elijah with Jesus. I mean, imagine that. I mean, they had an idea of who Jesus was. But, you know, we've read enough to know that the the disciples, even though they knew who Jesus was and they believed in him, they still didn't get it. Right? Whenever he would do a miracle that would kind of blow their mind, they were like, who is this? And so they see Moses and Elijah with him, and for, for, for anybody, but for Peter, James, and John, that would have been a very special thing to see. As Jewish men, you know, obviously they're Jewish culture, Elijah, and I'll talk to about him in a little bit and about Moses, but that would have been a great Incredible privilege. First of all, people that were dead. You know, Moses lived about 400 years before the Lord did. And so 1,400, I'm not sure if I said that right, 1,400 years later after Moses died, there he is hanging out with the Lord Jesus. And then Elijah lived hundreds of years before the Lord came also. Quick side note. You know, if there is no resurrection or life after dead, you know the Bible is... I mean, how do you explain that Moses would appear with Jesus 1,400 years later after he died? Right? So in case anyone's like, well, you never know what's on the other side. Well, I trust the word of God. And we know that the saints of old are still around. We believe that God created everyone in his image and we're all eternal beings. We're going to be around forever. In one of two places, with God in heaven or separated from God for all eternity in a place called hell. So here are these two men, and then, so they wake up, and I don't know how you wake up. There's some people that just wake up, and boom, they're ready to go. Some of us, it takes a little while, right? A couple cups of coffee, lunch, and then we start waking up. I don't know where you fall in that spectrum, but 
hear the arts, probably still in the night, and they wake up. Before you know it, there's Elijah, there's Moses, there's Jesus. And, Paul, and Peter, who, you know, would often kind of seems he would speak before he really thought things over. And I love the fact that Luke puts that on here. He says he didn't, he didn't even know what he was saying. Um, and first, Peter says, Lord, it is good for us to be here. I can just imagine he's talking to Moses and Elijah, and there's Peter talking, making some noise. Lord, it is good for us to be here. And the Lord would have been like, okay, Pete, relax. And then he says, we should build a tabernacle for you, for Moses, and for Elijah. And, and Luke says, Peter, had, he, didn't, he didn't understand what he was saying. And, and I don't want to get into the, the, the sermon here. But then a cloud comes around. And they would have been familiar with the idea of a cloud, much like in the Old Testament, and God's presence. It says they feared when the cloud overtook them, and out of the cloud a voice is heard. This is the voice of God the Father. And he says, this Jesus is my son, in whom I am well pleased. We'll see that too. He says, hear him. And God the Father kind of corrects Peter and puts Peter's mind back in place and says, like, no, Peter, not three tabernacles. Hear my son. And we're going to get to see that. And that's where we see the supremacy of Christ because Moses and Elijah are really big deal. They're both very big deals in the Old Testament for Jewish people, for the nation of Israel. But the Father comes and says, this is my son. Hear him. And we're going to explore that, so I'm super excited. Um, Can you just imagine that? Um, Sorry, and I I missed the whole part where the Lord transfigures, right? And so he's there up in the mountain. He allows his three disciples to see what happens. And so as the Lord is praying, Luke mentions, as the Lord is praying, it says that his face changes. Not going to try to explain that, all right? His face, his appearance changes And then it says that even his robe, his clothes, starts glistening, meaning light begins to radiate out of him. It's almost as if we're pulling back the veil of his flesh, and they're getting a glimpse of Christ's glory, his deity. You know, Jesus is God in the flesh. We can't understand that. I mean, really think about that. The creator of the universe, God who is spirit, chose to take upon himself a body like yours and mine. And and yet, he never stopped being God. And so he was God, but he was veiled. He was covered with a body. And during that, that scene, that instance, somehow that veil of his flesh was kind of removed at least slightly and his apostles were able to see his, his glory emanating out of him. It must have been something super special. So that's what happens. All of this to say and to tell us about the supremacy of Christ. You know, out there in the world, there are many, I would say billions of people that will not accept the supremacy of Christ. Many people, and I've talked this before, not that long ago, they will equate him with other religious leaders. They will put Jesus as one of many prophets. Sure, he's a prophet, 
Yeah, he was a great moral leader. Yeah, Jesus was a good guy. Great teachings. But beloved, for a Christian, we understand that he is supreme. He is above all, and there is nobody that compares to our Lord Jesus Christ. He's the King of kings and Lord of lords. So let's explore that. The supremacy of Christ. Um, Jesus' supremacy is seen by. <clears throat> so let's go back and, and explore these, these points. So point number one, and I trust that everybody has a, a sheet so that you can follow along. Feel free to fill it out now or later. But Jesus' supremacy is seen by, point number one, his transfiguration. So in verse 29, it says that as Jesus prayed, the appearance of his face was altered. And his robe became white and glistening, literally light radiating. Almost imagine lightning coming out of him. And thanks to Marvel and, and uh, these uh, entertainment, these movies, you can probably try to, ima- try to imagine what's going on with special effects. Except these weren't special effects. This was the real deal. You know, the Bible's where all these movie companies get their ideas. It's all plagiarized. It's all in the Bible. And there he is, emanating light. His face was altered, and the disciples are seeing this. And I could just imagine the emotions, like, what in the world? Yeah, we saw him calm the sea. We've seen him uh, have power of dominions. We've seen people. We see him raise dead people. But seeing his face altered and then light just emanating out of him would have been something incredible. Um, So as he prayed, the appearance of his face was altered and his robe became white and glistening. So the disciples were able to see, in part, the glory of Christ, God's glory, his physical glory. Um, Let me share some verses with you. John 1.14. John is very much, and he was one of the, the three, he was very much concerned in his gospel to tell his readers that Jesus is God. Right, right from the beginning, in the, the, uh, in the beginning was the Word, the Word was with God, and the Word was God. The Apostle John is very concerned in his gospel to, tr- uh, to transmit to us the fact that Jesus is God. And in verse 14, in chapter 1, John says, And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. And he says, And we beheld his glory. The glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. So John not only saw the miracles, not only did he hear Jesus' teachings, but he also saw his literal, physical glory emanating from him. And so when he says this in verse 14, the word became flesh and dwelt among us and we beheld his glory, he's talking about not just his, in, in a... In a symbolic way, but he's also talking about, I saw with my eyes, I saw his glory. Peter, who was also there, says in 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 16 and 18, it says, for we did not follow cunningly devised fables when we made known to you the power and coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, but were eyewitnesses of his majesty. No doubt he's also referencing this, this event 
For he received from God the Father honor and glory when such a voice came to him from the excellent glory. This is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. And we heard this voice which came from heaven and we were with him on that holy mountain. So Peter here in 2 Peter chapter 1, 16 through 18, he's referencing this very event. And Peter is saying something really important here. He says, look, as we the apostles teach you God's word, we're not telling you these fairy tales. He says, we saw it. We were eyewitnesses, and that's what we're writing about. He says, I was on that holy mountain where not only did we see him transfigured, but then we heard the voice of the Father through that cloud saying, this is my son in whom I am well pleased. These, these things are very significant because not only is the supremacy of Christ important, but because he is supreme, Peter is saying, that gives me the authority to teach about him, and his word is supreme and important for us. But it's interesting that he would reference that same um, event. So Jesus' supremacy is seen by his transfiguration. The Lord peels back a little bit of his flesh and he reveals his physical glory. What is the Lord going to look like in heaven? I don't know. I don't know. But I think this gives us a glimpse and I'm excited about that. Point number two, I want to spend some time here. So Jesus' supremacy is seen not only by his transfiguration, but point number two, by the two witnesses. By the two witnesses. 9.30 in Luke says, Behold, two men talked with him, who were Moses and Elijah. And to really appreciate this fact, or this event, is we have to know who Moses is, and we have to know who Elijah is. And obviously I can't, spend a couple hours on each one right now, but uh, suffice to say that they represent two big important aspects to the Jewish culture in the Old Testament for us. So Moses represents the law. He was the lawgiver. God gave Moses the Ten Commandments and subsequently the law through which the nation of Israel was to govern itself. So Moses is, even though he himself was also a prophet, but he represents the law. Everything in the Old Testament, the law. And then Elijah is one of the best known and, you know, more dear prophets to the, to the Jews. So Elijah would be representative of the prophets. And so what's happening here is you have Jesus Christ, and you have Moses who represents the entire law, and you have Elijah, who represents the prophets, really the entire Old Testament. And so for a Jew, what Peter did would have been very normal for any Jew to want to do, to want to acknowledge the three. So it's not like Peter was way off. He was just kind of behaving as an average Israelite or Jew would have when they, when they would have known that there was Elijah and there was Moses. He would have wanted to honor them. But in doing that, he didn't realize he was equating the three. Now, Moses being a representative of the law is very interesting because both the law and the prophets, ultimately, put it simply, they both pointed to Christ. You have to understand that Old Testament and New Testament is all about the Lord Jesus Christ. And in the Old Testament, you have the law, the sacrificial system, all this symbolism. It all pointed to Christ. And the law, Paul, uh, 
um, explains in Romans that the law was given to us, really the main purpose of the law, get this, this is really important, was not for you to try to save yourself because through the works of the law, no, no one will be justified. But really the purpose of the law, there were several. I mean, God wanted to demonstrate his, his character through it. But the main purpose of the law, get this, it was to let us know that we needed a Savior. The main purpose of the law was to let us know that on our own, we couldn't make it, we couldn't keep it. And thus, the purpose of the law is to let us know that we fall short and that we need a Savior. And so if you keep that in mind, the Old Testament law pointed to the fact that we needed a Savior, and that Savior is Jesus Christ. And there was Moses sort of testifying to that fact. And then the prophets are all about speaking to the people on behalf of God. Thus the Lord says over and over in the Old Testament when you read the prophets, minor and major prophets, thus, thus the Lord says, you know, explaining to, to the people what God's will is for us. And, and the prophets cover a long period of time. And there is Elijah representing the prophets, kind of not validating, but as a, I believe as a symbol of Moses and Elijah, all the Old Testament, recognizing Jesus' supremacy and talking to Jesus about his death. Luke talks about that. So they're talking about Jesus' death because through his death, Jesus is going to accomplish the purpose of the law. And through his death, he's going to accomplish everything that the prophets talked about, a coming Savior. So it's a really big deal. But, but to really appreciate it, we kind of have to know some background. You know, who Moses is, what he represents, who Elijah is, what he represents. And to know that they're, both of them are really big deals on their own, and yet even combined, they don't compare to Christ because they actually, all they did was talk about this coming Savior, this Messiah, who is Jesus our Lord. So, uh, did I read Luke 9.30? It says, And behold, two men talked with him who were Moses and Elijah. John 1.17 is a very key verse. John says, For the law was given through Moses, but grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. This is a very key verse. It talks about a big, important transition for the Jewish nation and, and consequently for all humanity. It says the law was given through Moses. Everybody knew that. But he says, but grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ is the embodiment of grace and truth. Jesus didn't just come to preach grace and truth. He was grace and truth. Awesome. Last verse, James 5.17, talking about Elijah. Elijah was a man with a nature like ours, and yet he prayed earnestly that it would not rain, and it did not rain on the land for three years and six months. It would be super interesting and beneficial for you to go back or maybe do a, a study on the person of, of Elijah and the power that God allowed him to manifest to this world as he spoke to the nation of Israel on behalf of God. And James says, you know, Elijah, ultimately, he was just a man like you and I, but anointed by, by God and used by God mightily, and he says, but he prayed, and it didn't rain for three and a half years. And then he prayed again, and it rained, manifesting God's power over nature once again. And so Elijah and Moses, really big deal. 
but they don't compare to our Lord Jesus Christ because our Lord Jesus Christ is supreme. And actually, both Moses and the law and Elijah and the prophets spoke about and prepared the way and pointed towards Jesus, our Lord. Love that. So lastly, Jesus' supremacy is seen not only in his transfiguration, his physical transfiguration, by the two witnesses, Moses and Elijah, but thirdly, also by the Father's testimony. The Father kind of has to step in a little bit here and says, like, wait a minute, Peter, what in the world? What are you saying? Don't you get it? You still don't get it? Let me intervene here. And you know, the Father didn't make a whole lot of appearances, special appearances, but he did here. Luke 9.35 says that a voice came out of the cloud saying, this is my beloved son. And he says, hear him. Hear him. Now, it's not that God is saying, like, don't hear the law, but he understands Jesus is supreme. He is the fulfillment. And the Lord says, I didn't come to abolish the law. I came to fulfill it. Jesus is the fulfillment of the law and the fulfillment of the prophecy And the last verse that I'm going to share with you. Luke 3, 21 and 22, because this should have reminded us of something that we saw some months back in Luke chapter 3, this voice coming from heaven. Luke 3, 21 and 22 says, When all the people were baptized, it came to pass that Jesus also was baptized. And while he prayed, the heavens were opened, and the Holy Spirit descended in bodily form like a dove upon him, and a voice came from heaven which said, You are my beloved Son, in you I am well pleased. So again, a voice from heaven verifying, and this is for the, pe for the sake of the people. I don't think the Lord needed that, and certainly the Father didn't need to do this, because they understood what was going on. But the people that were watching, and, and especially John the Baptist had been told that when he saw the Spirit descend in the form of a dove, that is the Messiah. And so that occurred. And so here, a couple years later, after the Lord's baptism, you have the Father once again making a special appearance and from a cloud uh, expressing the fact that Moses is great, Elijah is great, because ultimately they were God's servants, but he says, this is my beloved son. Hear him. He is supreme. He is a fulfillment of the law. And he is everything that the prophets talked about. He's got the message. He's got the goods. And so it's for us. What does that mean for us, right? In form of application. You might say, uh, well, great. The Lord is supreme. I recognize that. And I would say, and I don't want to be a downer, but do we? I mean, I get to meditate about this stuff, and I, say, I have to ask myself, is, is the Lord supreme in my life? Do I value other things above Him? And a very easy one would be, do I value myself? Is Jesus supreme, or am I supreme? Who's the most important in my life, person in my life? Is it Him, or is it me? Do I make decisions based on His will, or do I make decisions based on my feelings and my desires? And, and when we come to a service like this and we are exposed to information like this and we see that all the Old Testament says Jesus is supreme, we see his transfiguration, Jesus is supreme, like no one else. Nobody else could do that. Nobody else veiled themselves uh, in flesh with, nobody veiled deity in flesh except Jesus. 
And then we have the father's testimony. The father never said that about anybody else, not that way. And we have to say, okay, so Jesus is supreme. And the implications of that need to transmit and translate to a different life. If the father says, this is my son, hear him, then we should hear him. And if we, we might say, well, what, what, what do I hear? Well, study God's word. This is his word. This is God's revelation of, God's, of his will. You read the Bible. You read Luke, for example, and it's all about the Lord Jesus Christ. It is the narrative about Jesus from his birth to his resurrection. So you want to know who he is? Read the gospel of Luke. That's why we're reading the gospel according to Luke, so that we could be introduced many times or reminded of Christ's supremacy. Jesus is the eternal God who veiled himself in flesh in order that he would identify himself with us, in order that he would reveal the Father in a special way. But most importantly, like Paul says in 1 Corinthians 15, 3, that Jesus Christ came into this world to save sinners or to die for our sins. And that is a really big deal. And so we celebrate them when we take communion because what we're saying is this is the most important thing that has ever happened to me. The supreme being of all humanity in the universe veiled himself in flesh and chose to take my place at the cross. We deserve to be there. We're the sinners that need to have God's wrath and judgment upon us because the wages of sin is death and God is pure and perfect. We deserve that punishment. We deserve that death. And yet God being supreme, chooses to do that for us out of love in order that he would offer forgiveness of sins, in order that he would offer a relationship with himself through Christ for all of eternity. I find that amazing. I hope that blesses you. Um, to him be all the glory. I, I would encourage you to continue reading ahead, keeping in mind his supremacy Reading about him and getting to know him better should be an honor and a privilege that we cherish. So let's do that. Heavenly Father, we're grateful for your blessings. We are grateful for this time. We thank you for allowing us to gather. And I hope that, that we would be encouraged, that we would stir each other onto love and good works. That as we come and we hear a message like this and perhaps be convicted as I am, understanding that we don't give you the place that you deserve in our lives. And maybe we never will as long as we're here on this earth, but we want to strive to do better. We want to strive to declare to everyone around us that we believe that Jesus Christ is our Lord and that he is supreme over all. We pray for forgiveness for the times that we don't demonstrate that. But we pray for courage. We pray for wisdom and humility and a desire to live a life that is worthy of your calling. I thank you for everybody who's here. If, if somebody's here for the first time, just hearing these truths, maybe for the first time, or is being reminded, I pray, Holy Spirit, your blessing on them. And as we dismiss, I pray that you would guide us, that you would watch over us, and that you would bless us in a way that we could be a blessing to others. I pray this in the wonderful, matchless, and supreme name of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. God bless you, beloved. You're dismissed.